Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Self-Reg Show. I'm Susan Hopkins. I'm the Executive Director of the Merit Center, the organization that is, is bringing uh, this podcast to you. And I'm here with Dr. Stuart Schenker. Again, he's the founder of our organization, and he is going to be uh, taking us on a bit of a journey today. But first, I just want to start us off on thinking about what this episode is. We are going to be talking stress, and I strongly suggest that if this resonates or the topic resonates, that you like, share, invite your friends, uh, you know, wherever you can get this episode and, and get this podcast uh, into other people's worlds. So I think we can really make a difference. That's why I do this work, because the science of self-reg and the way that uh, the work of Stuart weaves that science together into what we can do as parents, as educators, as leaders, uh, is game-changing and life-changing and so full of hope, and it's why I do this work. So thank you, thank you, and thank you for following our, our, our podcast. So today's topic is about thinking about stress, and it's such an important, it's a, starts an important starting place for us as we really kind of begin to think about, all right, what is this brain-body science? What is this, this whole area of bursting work um, mean for how we parent, what our kids' well-being, ourselves, you know, our neighbors, our, the, the crazy things we're dealing with in our world, the things that matter to us most. And you hear the word stress absolutely everywhere. I mean, Google stress. <laughs> You're going to come up with uh, all sorts of big, long lists. You're going to come up with a whole bunch of things to supposedly reduce stress. Uh, you know, simple things like going to take a bath and, uh, you know, maybe maybe taking doing some deep breathing. Both of those are, are good things. But, you know, it, it also assumes this understanding of what stress actually is. And I'm going to ask Stuart to, to take us through, um, through a, a deeper understanding of this. But I want to give you an example uh, from my life, which Stuart asked me to start with an example. He didn't know where I was going to go today. And trust me, <laughs> I have a teenager. I could have started with, with examples there. Uh, you know, I certainly could have started with the examples. We're filming this. Uh, you'll be seeing it a, a month later, but we're filming this uh, the week, November 10th. So you can imagine for those of us uh, in, in North America, not just our American friends, but us up here in Canada, this has been, you know, there's a lot going on in the world this week. And, you know, we're worried about, uh, you know, others and other countries and the state of the world and the economy. And, you know, those, these are all, all, all things that we think about when we think of stress, but I choose an unusual example. Cause usually I tell a story about people or myself or parenting or whatever, and I'm going to show you a source of stress and joy <laughs> for me. Okay, and it is this. And I have red fingernails and I will explain why later. So I'm going to get a nice close up. It is the French version of, of Stuart's book, uh, Self-Reg, which is his parenting book, uh, released in 2016 in, in English, but it's, been, it's, it's still being released in different places around the world. I don't know how many different languages we're up to. It's 12 or 13 uh, but we hear constantly about how this book was a game changer, uh, not just for parents. There's educators and schools and early childhood folks and people in healthcare are all using this book um, because it allows you to access some of the science, this very science of that is beneath self-reg, but to begin to think about, about it and how it might apply, how it might apply to looking at children and teens and ourselves in really hopeful ways, but also practical. So the reason I'm including it as a stress for me is uh, I just 
Stuart doesn't even have a copy yet. I literally got it two days ago. And so I run, I run the Merit Centre and I strongly suggest if you haven't found us, uh, go check us out, self-reg.ca. Tons of content, tons of free resources, tons of helpful ways to learn more, uh, you know, and, uh, but it is a source of stress in my life, a source of joy. I, I'm proud to do this work, uh, but it's also a source of stress. So we decided, uh, you know, we decided to uh, publish this book uh, because, uh, you know, Stuart's pretty passionate about this. We'll link, link for you to learn more and, and, and hear a little bit more. But we were pretty passionate about the importance of having a version of, of this core anchor book of Stuart's um, in French because we're Canadian. <laughs> and we have many people around the world and in different, different countries where, where French is, is the language. Uh, but as Canadians, this was actually really important to us. We've tried to find a publisher and we couldn't. And so we're like, okay, <laughs> all right, I'll publish it. <laughs> the team here will publish it. And we did. Look, we pulled it off. I'm um, very proud of it. And uh, it's available. You'll see where you can go and, and buy it. And I and uh, I really encourage you to uh, to check it out. Um, but it was a lot of stress. You're, you know, if I think about sort of the everyday understandings of stress, Stuart, um, you know, it was the pressure, trying to sell it. That's Sophie. She's feeling the stress of being in place. <laughs> She's being a good girl over there. But there were all kinds of things. Oh, no, you know, I had, I'm literally going and putting copies of this into our office. The phone is ringing, you know, and it's like you're feeling your blood pressure going up. It's almost like you're feeling this, this heart rate rise of, of, of stress. And yet I know there's more to stress than just the experience and the things that put pressure on us kids at daycare, making rent, you know, worry, partner, relationship problems, worries about political stuff. There's a lot more to stress. And I'm going to invite you, Stuart, to not only if you, you know, want to give a nice little word about your book, but to talk about, okay, uh, that's an experience, an external thing. What is stress actually? Because I think we're pretty confused about it uh, in in our everyday world. And it, it, it's, it's a door opener for us. So over to you, Stuart. What do I need to think about differently? What is stress? Uh, what did I get right? What? What? Where is the hope to you know open up some new thinking? Um, I'll, I'll start off and I'll tell you a little story. Uh, so when I was uh, working on my doctorate, I was working on um, the science of stress uh, that was really initiated by Walter Bradford Cannon. Uh, and he took the term stress, I don't know if you know this, but he took it from uh, aero engineering and construction. He was looking at um, uh, the original use of the term, um, uh, you know, the idea that uh, concrete could develop cracks from the stresses that it was exposed to, the stress of wind or the stress of weather, rain. And likewise, uh, the stress of cracks in an airplane wing uh, from the pressures of the wind. And uh, I was very interested in my uh, postdoc work on how this idea was adopted and adapted in uh, medical thinking, in biology in general. So I was doing all this work and uh, I came to Canada uh, and I don't remember now, 86, I think, or 84. And one of the first things I was asked to do was write about stress. And so I wrote this, uh, what I thought was a really great piece 
about uh, uh, what Canon, uh, how Canon had developed the concept and some of the uh, origins of this that go way, way back. And the editor replied and said to me in, you know, nice language that uh, Susan has now mastered as a, as a publisher, what the hell are you talking about? Uh, I was talking about stress. Um, and uh, so she said to me, but, you know, nowhere do you talk about the stress of money or the stress of time. And so I realized uh, I had to do a little bit of catch up. So one of the very first things I published on stress was about a study that Stanley Greenspan did with Steve Porges and uh, Georgia Deganji. And I don't remember the exact date, but it was around 89, 1989, 1990 in there. And it was a fascinating study. And what they were looking at was the effect of reducing stress on uh, premature babies. And um, what they reported, and you know, to me, this was you know really one of the great discoveries at the end of the century. What they reported was that by reducing uh, the stresses on these premature babies, all of their health uh, measures, uh, their growth, their weight, um, their heart, they all improved dramatically. And there was this direct um, correlation between uh, their stress level and uh, and their health, their overall health. In fact, uh, they were um, uh, they left hospital around twice as early as uh, premature babies that did not have this stress reduced environment. And it was very interesting how they reduce the stresses. Now, for me, you know, coming from Oxford, this was clear. I mean, this was this was straightforward. But people had a lot of trouble understanding it. Uh, what they wanted to know was, um, how can this be a stress? Sorry, I'm getting beat by my son. Um, how can this be a stress? What do you mean by stress? And so I said to Susan, I thought it would be a really good idea for us um, to do a podcast on uh, what exactly do all stresses have in common. Why do we call them stress? What is a stress? Now, the scientific definition is this. A stress is any stimulus that requires the brain to burn energy for some function in order to maintain homeostasis. So in the case of a premature baby, the stresses that they were dealing with were, because they were premature, uh, they were very reactive to things like temperature, uh, light, noise, sound. And so by reducing the, by reducing the sound level, by reducing the lighting, the illumination, by ensuring that they were in a warm environment, you were reducing the stresses on these babies. That's why they did better. They had enough, they had more energy available for their metabolic functions. So the idea here is that a stress 
is a function of life. Uh, we are constantly bathed in stress. And that means we are constantly burning energy, glucose, to maintain homeostasis. So I thought that would be a pretty good starting point, Susan, for you and me today. I love it. And you'll have to thank Sasha for uh, pinging your phone right in the middle of it because it gave me a great <laughs> it gave me a great example. That is, and that's actually, I mean, we're not going to get into how marketers use uh, the science of stress, yeah. but that was a stint. That was a stressor, right? That was a stimulus that caused each, you know, it, it caused, you know, some kind of a reaction. I'm, you know, I'm not then, then the brain body scientist that you are, but it, it, it was definitely an example and really interesting to think about different perspectives because there's you and me. Right. I like I had a, a response trying to figure out if it was me. There was your response, which is always very, very chill, uh, which is lovely. But we have our, our producer, Adam, who is on the other end of this, making it all happen. His level of stress would be would be thinking about other things. Right. So so really kind of kind of interesting to use as an example of stress. You know, yeah. And I wanted to, I, I, I pulled a few things. I know some of you are listening to this on audio and not seeing the video, but I, you happened to, to go back. I never know where you're going to go, which is half of the fun of it. But you went back to the original understanding of Canon. And so I'm going to hold something up for you here. It is a, a carving um, that I was, yeah, it's a carving of it. It's actually a dancing bear. It's dancing polar bear. And I got it. Uh, it was a gift that, that someone gave me when I was up in, uh, Nunavut a couple of years ago and uh, doing a workshop, a self-reg workshop. And I, I love it. It's meaningful to me. There's so many things, uh, you know, uh, uh, about just the intention of how it was gifted, but I love how cold it feels. And it's very special to me. And and I think you can see from the leg uh, it, that it is, uh, for those of you listening on audio, it's glued together and not very well. I plan to fix that up, but it had a top hole. <laughs> Thanks to my dog, Sophie, who was chasing a ball and it, and it fell. And so, I mean, it's kind of a neat example when we think about the, what, what stress is sort of in the physical world. Um, and it didn't just uh, fall and absorb the weight. It actually broke off a piece of it. So when we think about, uh, about, you know, stress and people is a very different thing, which is really important. We're not trying to think about this, just the physical metaphor of it, but thinking about it in us, it's like, what can we absorb and respond to? You know, it's like that stretch don't care, tear kind of idea of, uh, of stress. Am I onto something there? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so we have, <laughs> okay. well, we have to explain this thing uh, because what we're trying to do today in this podcast is, um, everybody who's listening uh, has an incredible amount of stress in their life. And what we want to know, what we're, where we want to end up is what we do about it. But first, we have to understand what it is. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, okay, our starting point then is every time there's a stress, um, then uh, I have to burn a little bit of energy in order to keep uh, some system in balance. Uh, the example that Cannon gave is as good as any. Um, cold weather, according to Cannon, is a stress. It's a physical stress. And when 
uh, our, our brain is designed that it wants to keep everything nice and toasty at around 37 degrees. Uh, so if you're American, 98.6, roughly speaking. So it doesn't like being cold. And if it, it has a different receptors that tell, tell it when its body temperature is dropping. And so it wants to bring that body temperature back up to 98.6 or 37 degrees. And what it does is it triggers various physiological reactions, like your teeth chattering or shivering. And really what these are doing is these are little muscular reactions, contra uh, contractions, which release heat as a byproduct. And of course, we all know that you know, using a muscle burns energy, even if the muscles you're using are the muscles in your face, the muscles around your jaw. So there's a great example of what it means when we say a stress is something that triggers in us a reaction that burns energy to, main, to keep a system working in its balanced state. We have, we have dozens and dozens of these systems, all of them trying to, um, trying to stay in balance, whatever the stress, whether it's, it's, it's a, you know, like in Cannon's example, it's uh, an environmental one, it's a sound one, or the examples that Susan was giving, those are stresses too, the emotional stress the social stress, all of these burn energy. Now I want to explain something really interesting. This is a recent discovery. So I said to you a couple of minutes ago, we're bathed in stress. A baby is bathed in stress from the moment they're born. They actually have a lot of stress in utero, but it's less, it's more muted. But the second that baby comes into the world, they are blasted with stress. In fact, probably the single biggest stress on a newborn is light. They've come from, uh, they've come from a uh, dark environment and light is of course photons. These are energy waves that are washing over the baby. The baby has to somehow uh, uh, absorb all this energy and uh, stay in that sort of balanced energy state. Energy is another homeostatic system. And so what does a baby do? Well, it's got to get rid of the extra energy if it's going to stay in, uh, if it's going to stay in balance. And so maybe what it does is it cries. Uh, it flails. Um, that flailing is actually a way of discharging energy. Crying is discharging energy. Or maybe it falls asleep which is a way of reducing energy. So I'm going to tell you something now that's, for me, this was like sort of self-reg 101, but I've now spent 30 years explaining it. When the baby does all those things, that baby is self-regulating. And that's what Cannon's original idea was. That's how he defined self-regulation. Self-regulation is how we manage stresses so that we can stay in balance. So the baby is managing stresses by crying, by, by falling asleep. Uh, we won't talk today, maybe be another 
interesting podcast. Baby sleep is a very strange kind of state um, where they're still taking in stress, but not as much. So Cannon's idea was that this uh, self-regulation, which happens very uh, in very primitive parts of the brain, in the brainstem, the brainstem has self-regulating mechanisms like breathing. Breathing is operates to keep the oxygen level in the blood around ninety-seven percent. So we are born with a brain with a couple of brainstem self-regulating mechanisms, or in the case I just gave with uh, you know the crying and stuff, we're born with some subcortical self-regulating mechanisms. But Cannon's big insight was these mechanisms, these self-regulating mechanisms are pretty limited. There's only, the, the, the baby, you know, can't really stay warm um, by, uh, you know, crying and waving its arms or, and legs around because that's burning energy. It doesn't have that much. So it really requires a caregiver to reduce the amount of energy it's, it has to burn in order to stay at 37 degrees. The caregiver puts a hat on the baby. The caregiver puts a blanket on the baby or takes the blanket off. The caregiver watches. So the caregiver is regulating the baby to to reduce the amount of energy that she's burning. I just want to say one last thing and then I'll come up for air. That's why the Greenspan Porges <laughs> experiment was so important because what they were doing was as caregivers, they were looking at methods of reducing the stress load on the baby so that the baby had more, these preemies had more energy that could go into the things required for metabolic growth, for health. So by conserving one type of energy, they free it up so that it could be used for healthy reasons. And that's a very important aspect of self-regulation. Self-regulation, um, as we explain in all of our courses, this, is not a, this is, has nothing to do with self-control. The baby, a premature baby, certainly is not exercising self-control. Self-regulation is a key to well-being, to health, and as we get older, to learning, to, to happiness, to social engagement, and so on. So I have still a bit more science I want to talk about, but I thought maybe I should pause. <laughs> So brains exploding, and there were so many things that, that you said. I just want to anchor on that very last statement because that one often sets people aback. You know, they think they're, we're, we're following you along and we understand all this and, you know, we can get that my, my body temperature likes to stay at a certain temperature and I, you know, I shiver and it creates heat and I sweat and it kind of reduces. That all makes sense, right? And then we're following it along and it's like, okay, when babies cry, they're, you know, they're, they're actually, you know, trying to get what they need. And then all of a sudden you say self-regulation and self-control are not the same thing. And for some people they're like, yeah, yeah, I get it. I already know. Right. Um, for others, it's like, what do you mean? 
what do you mean? You just said babies were, you know, manipulating us or you just, you know, whether you use that word or not, but you just, they're trying to get us to do what they want. See, I told you so. And you said that we had to regulate them. You're not meaning that we have to, to manage. You're meaning actually something very, very different. And listen, folks, when you're hearing this, it's, it's cool. The science is cool. There's ways to learn lots more science. But I need to share that for me, at least, as I started this work because of in education, I was trying to understand, you know, kids that struggled and support them and all those kinds of things. But this has been a journey for me as I'm a completely different parent. And and it's really affected me completely. And one of the biggest shifts for me of all was suddenly realizing not everything was a a choice, a good, bad choice, a decision, something that I consciously controlled or should have, or was weak because I didn't or not be, you know, not a choice. And so I just want to ask you about that. And then I want to go back to babies for just, I have one more question for you about babies. So what's the question? (laughs) You know, what do you want to say about the, to anchor in that idea that it is, that there is a difference between self-regulation and self-control. You, you added that in there. I want people to hear in our parenting, in our educating, in our leading, in our humaning, that is, that honestly is the game changer. So if you're working with a different definition of self-regulation, they're out there. Uh, This one we're working with makes those two completely distinct and that's where the hope is. You've got to be working on the right thing. If you're working on self-control, uh, you're missing the opportunities, uh, the gifts and the joys and not just managing a little bit of stress and getting people on task and all those things. It's like so much richer than all of that. So I don't know. Do you want to say anything to anchor that in or is that enough? Yeah, I, I want to be a little careful today because, um, uh, you know, down the road, we're going to have to talk about why we get oh, confused about, you know, what our child's behavior is all about. And we think we have to uh, teach them to control their impulses. Um, uh, And one of our goals in self-reg is to learn when and why impulses are actually stress behaviors. They uh, They are the result of excessive stress. But Uh, My thinking for today was to get to that point, we have to have a clearer understanding of what stress actually is. You can't understand what a stress behavior is until you understand what a stress is. And what we're saying then when we talk about stress behaviors is that the child um, has gone into a very low energy, high tension state. And their behaviors are actually ways of trying to get out of that state. What we want to do in self-reg is not punish those behaviors, not try to control those behaviors, but rather understand what they're telling us. And what they're telling us is that for some reason, that child is burning way too much energy. And we want to figure what that figure out what that is. And as the child gets older, we want them to learn how to do it for themselves. So the starting point really for today was understanding um, something really cool that's going on in the brain. But you said you had another question about babies. (laughs) Give me some examples. Yeah, I'm curious. So as we think about stressors and we're beginning to think of different examples, I, you talked about light for babies and I, have my sunglasses here, which, uh, 
you know, and I, when I think about, about stressors and something, you know, that, that one often comes to mind for me, you know, bright lights are always a bit of a stressor. What are these, some of the other stressors on babies? So some of the things we might think we know, what are some of the unexpected stressors on, on, on an infant or even a toddler or a young child that, that, that our, our audience could think about? Well, that gives me an excuse for doing my next little bit of science. Um, <laughs> okay. One of the big stressors on a baby, maybe the biggest, is feeling that they're alone. Um, they have a, a special kind of cry, which is called a distress vocalization. And it's triggered um, even before they know that your mom, your daddy, even before this is something that even very young babies can can make these distress vocalizations. They're triggered by a system very deep in the brain. Um, and if you're a, a science nerd like me, um, it's triggered by neurons in the dorsal rafe nucleus. This really, really ancient part of the brain, really deep in the midbrain. Nature didn't want that baby to be alone. And when the baby feels alone, it is a feeling alone is a huge feeling that you are alone is a huge stress on a baby. And so this distress vocalization was nature's way of making the caregiver come running. Um, there's all kinds of real neat things about, um, uh, about distress vocalizations. Uh, when the baby uh, makes them, of course, the vocalization itself is burning a lot of energy. The baby's temperature, body temperature drops at this, at this moment of the vocalization. And what's fascinating is so does the caregiver's. The caregiver's body temperature drops when the baby makes these distress vocalizations. And when we bring them back together, baby and mom or baby and dad, the baby's body temperature comes up and so does the parents or so does the caregivers it comes back up. So this is uh, yet another sign of how nature intended us to, to um, be in a diet, be, you know, that we need that regulating source. Now um, I do want to do one little last little bit of science because this is another recent discovery. Okay, so what we're looking at is what, what, what in the world is stress? And so we've got a definition. Stress is something that burns energy to keep some system running smoothly. Maybe it's your heart. Maybe that's a system or it's digestion or it's body temperature. Okay. Now, where does the energy come from? That's a really important question. Where does the baby get this energy? So what we've discovered is, uh, and if you come on to one of our courses, and I would strongly recommend our foundations course for this, which you can get at self-reg.ca, in, in the limbic system, which is this part of the brain below the surface, and it's really the most important part of the brain for the newborn, there's a, a, a little structure. Um, at the bottom of the limbic system, it's actually in another part of the brain that we call the diencephalon. This little system is called the hypothalamus. The hypothalamus is our master control system. So it 
it triggers um, all kinds of reactions of when our energy goes too low. In the hypothalamus, there is a little group of neurons, brain cells. And this little group of neurons is in a part of the brain called the periventricular nucleus. A nucleus is just a group of neurons. And what they do is they, they uh, when that baby has a stress, these neurons start to vibrate and they release a neurochemical. Now, I won't go into the details, but this neurochemical starts off a, a whole chain of neurochemical events that ends up tapping into the energy that's contained in the in the fat cells in the body. Okay, it's a fascinating journey how all this happens step by step. But I said to you at the beginning, we're ba the baby's bathed in stress. The baby, everything is a stress on the baby. The, 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 the sound, the light, the noise, um, the, the uh, separation, all of these are stresses. So how come, um, how come, we don't burn out. How come the baby, how, how is a baby or any of us able to, to, to grow, to be healthy, to be well, to be happy? And this discovery that they made was in this same nucleus, this little group of neurons in this little tiny system that we inherited from the distant past, there's another group of neurons both sitting side by side in the periventricular nucleus. And this other group of neurons turns off the stress response so that we can, so that we don't burn out. It turns, so side by side in the same little tiny part of the brain, there are energy burners and turning off the energy. And now here's the million dollar question. We know what turns on the energy burners, stress, stress, which can be physical or, as I've just explained, in the case of the baby, social separation. So stress turns on the energy burners. What turns it off? We have these neurochemicals that turn it off. What triggers them? What triggers oxytocin, which turns it off? What triggers opioids? And the answer is, we do. We caregivers do. How do we turn it off? Well, we have little tickle receptors. These tickle receptors are activated by being hugged, being stroked, being sung to. All of these trigger, all of these trigger oxytocin, which turns off the stress response. A baby that's all alone in an incubator has nothing to turn off the stress response. So they didn't, so so Stanley and Steve didn't, and Georgia didn't just reduce the stresses. They did something further, and that's what I wanted to mention today. And what they did that's further. So you got a premature baby isolated in an incubator, controlled temperature, but the babies weren't doing well. Why not? 
because they needed oxytocin. So part of what they did, Greenspan and Sol, they introduced kangaroo care, which had been discovered by a nurse, I believe she was in Australia or New Zealand. Kangaroo care, you take the noob, you take the preemie, and you put them on your chest, bare chest to bare chest. I did this with my own children. So with kangaroo, kangaroo care, kangaroo care was the game changer for these preemies. It wasn't enough to dim the lights. They needed oxytocin. The oxytocin came from being hugged. It came from physical contact. Isolating them turned out to be the one thing that was terrible for them. They needed human contact. And that is the core message for today's conversation about stress. We're bombarded with all these messages today. You're overstressed. So you need to, you need to, I don't know, go on a holiday. You need to, uh, you need to do meditation, do yoga. But the lesson from the preemie research is as important today for us as it was for them. You need oxytocin. You need something. You need, we need each other. We need, we need close, meaningful relationships in our life to trigger the oxytocin when we most need it, when we're overstressed. That's why people, that's why I hear, I used to hear when I was first married, my wife would say to me, she'd get upset, she'd be overstressed. And I'm going to explain to her, you know, you don't need to feel that way. And she would respond, no, I don't need that. I just need you to hug me. That's, that's, that's today's message. That's why we study stress at this sort of neurobiological level so that we can figure out what the hell do we do when we're all feeling this way. <laughs> what an important episode. I have I have just a few comments and one short story to share, and then uh, we'll let you have the final word, as always, Stuart. So, you know, the, a couple of things that I took away from today um, was really beginning to think about stress differently, uh, you know, not just uh, in terms of like re recognizing it, you talked about it as a stimulus, but recognizing it as necessary and just part of being a, being a human being uh, and very, very connected to energy. I, 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 I love the message that we're thinking about all of these different stressors uh, on, on an infant was your focus today. Uh, but realizing that we are the strategy, we use that saying sometimes, you know, and that it's, it is about the human relationship. You, you talk about the dyad and the, the connections and, and us. So when people talk about relationships being really important, of course they are, of course they are. And we've been talking about it for decades, but this science begins to open it up in new ways and gives us some of the tools to recognize uh, when that connection is there and when it isn't, and that it's a two-way street. Can't lend calm if we aren't calm, right? And so thinking about that as, as adults. Uh, but I just, I also want to make sure that for those of you out there listening, uh, if you're go looking back in time and thinking about when your child was an infant and you weren't doing all these things, or maybe you tried, you know, cry it out or whatever the sorts of things you did, hey, <laughs> I didn't get it all right at all. I was a very overstressed uh, uh, parent when my, my daughter was 
colicky, you know, whatever that is, and 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 quite isolated myself. So it's not about that. It's about understandings, and it's and it's not just about infants. So if you're an educator and you're thinking, yeah, but their first three years of life, yeah, but you've got them in the fourth year, and it's like you there there is no time. Um, that that self-reg and the, the, that, that trajectories can't change and that this understanding can influence us. There are definitely windows that matter, uh, you know, and uh, the early years for sure, that sort of preteen and early teen for sure, uh, but it's right across the lifespan. And I, I thought about your example in the beginning about being cold and shivering and that sort of classic idea. And all my head could go to, and I'm sure there are others out there, was thinking of, yeah, so why don't kids put on their coats when they're, you know, when they're six or seven? And and why don't they, when they're teenagers, when it feels like it's like a compliance thing, right? And, you know, and really realizing, and I'm not just, there's a lot of science behind that, which I think will eventually get us into, but noticing my judgment in that particular moment of, oh, Jesus, remember, put your coat on, right? That is actually a stress response in me. You know, that is something that is part of self-reg is beginning to notice ourselves in the equation, not with judgment, with those soft eyes and and beginning to think about uh, about the why and, and why now. And because this is not about what anybody else should have, could have done. We can influence and it, maybe our sphere of influence is big. Maybe it's me, one person. Uh, but it's it's about each of us beginning to think about this science, how it can apply to our life, how we can harness it, um, you know, for the for the best, for to help the others as we care about our kids, our students, ourselves uh, as part of the journey. So I'm just going to say that I had one little neat story about how self-reg uh, and thinking about stressors really helped me as a parent. Uh, but I just want to see if you want to say anything about that before I go to well, my story, Stuart. That was good. So last year, uh, you know, there's a whole lot of things, lots of kids, lots of teenagers are, um, you know, have been affected. Uh, lots of, lots of us have been affected, not just by COVID, by the things in the world in the last, the last year, some of them are ongoing. Um, and, you know, some of the things I had done as a parent all along, uh, they weren't working anymore in different kind of ways. And for obvious reasons, you've got a kid that has become a teenager and so on. Uh, and self-reg, I'm a di- I know I'm a different parent. I definitely much, um, I still make mistakes, but I can catch myself and recognize there's something more. So it's not logical. It doesn't make sense. So there's more going on. And how can I use uh, the five steps of self-reg? We're really talking just a little bit about the second one, which is recognize stressors, but we'll put up a graphic so you can see there's all five and there's a lot. Don't think that you do a one hour webinar. There's a lot, but it's game changing as you go through that journey. Uh, but I was, you know, I got stuck. I slipped into self-control. Uh, Stuart is a mentor for me as well as my boss and, uh, and uh, uh, you know, in, in, in important ways and never with thou shalt, always with a good well-placed question or the support in the moment by text, you know, <laughs> or, or what have you. And, and I realized that I was sort of slipping into, you know, the, the ways we always do these parenting things and problems and, and it wasn't working. Uh, and I knew it wasn't the right, the right strategy. So I, I went, okay, <laughs> I could reframe. I had learned to reframe. I could recognize stressors in myself and, and, and my family. And I could easily see some of them, you know, not just the obvious ones, some of the hidden stressors that were going on for sure. Uh, but what do I do about it? And that was where a little bit of magic happened. Uh, you know, I began to think, okay, Hmm, okay, so I know there's too many stressors here, and I know that that is, you know, a piece of it. I can recognize some. I certainly don't know all, and I never will. <laughs> but I could reckon. What are the little ones? 
you know, and so that's my message, you know, sort of thinking to parents and educators. And if you're in an early, early childhood center and it's just like the whole place is like, wow, and you don't know what to do about it. What are the little ones that you can do? Turning down the lights is not going to resolve everything, but it is reducing the stress, you know, stressors for some of the kids. You know, what are the little things I can do? How can I just use my voice? Seeing, you know, seeing your, in my case, my child with soft eyes was very important because her system was picking up on that. But that's what I did. I focused on, okay, what are the little things that I actually can control that are stressors that are not helpful and not necessary? And I dialed them down and it's not perfect. We're on a journey, but a little bit of magic kind of happened when I, when I, when I, I, I dialed that down a bit, recognizing that there's a sweet spot with stress. It's not too little stress, not a good, you know, too little on those things. It's not, it's not healthy either, but there was a sweet spot and, and it was a useful tool for me as a parent and still is. So with that over to you, Stuart, for our final word on this, on this podcast on what is stress and maybe give a little hint of why they should join us next time <laughs> to hear where you're going to go next. Well, uh, Susan wanted me, um, to talk today about the five domains of stress. So that's what we'll do next time. Um, I, I begged her to let me talk a little bit about stress, uh, uh, what it is before we go on to the five domains. But let me close with a little story of my own. Um, I had a father who was just a natural co-regulator. He was unbelievable. And uh, whenever I got, so I, young, young father and getting really overstressed and I'd call my dad, it was a reflex. And so I would be in that was state that Susan just described. And my father would respond um, with a very slow, gentle, low voice. And I would calm right down. Um, and this is just over the phone. So as a scientist, I became really curious, what the hell, how was this, was it just, you know, a memory here that my father could soothe me? Or was there something about his voice? And now we've discovered over just in the last couple of years that uh, we've discovered that the voice is actually a form of touch. Um, that with our voice, we are caressing the child's eardrum, producing oxytocin. So this science uh, that we're going to be presenting in these podcasts. It's really interesting. It's exciting. And my God, is it ever valuable um, to realize why we work the way we work, what we can do so that we can all thrive. And that's the, that's the goal of these podcasts. And hopefully our own voice, our own voices have been soothing. And I will sign off with that, Susan. So I just want to say uh, thank you. Stuart's, Stuart's ending conversation made me realize that it's time to invite Rafi, a friend of Self Reg. He wrote a, even wrote a song for us uh, to come and, and have a conversation on the Self Reg pod because I, nobody uses their voice like Rafi does um, in his singing, but in, in his way of communicating in his, in his concerts uh, with, with young children. It's, it's quite something magical uh, to see. So I'm going to add him to my list of requests. And I just want to say thank you, everyone. Thank you to the Merit Center who's funding this, uh, uh, who's funding this and making it possible. We felt it was important to bring it all to you. Like, share, comment, pass it on, spread the word. Um, give us ideas for next for next talks, things you'd like us to explore, questions you have. 
and thank you very much for joining us today on the Self-Reg Pod. I'm Susan Hopkins, and we'll see you next time.